We're on a mission from God. And now for something completely different. This is Pastor Jolly John Lekomsky, so therefore I suppose it's appropriate to say, ho, ho, ho. (laughs) And yes, indeed, this is the annual Wrestling with the Basics Christmas episode. Uh, And we have with us again, in fact, one last time. So if I forget to say it, if we run out of time, Peter, again, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us here on uh, Wrestling with the Basics. Uh, I have with me a, a good friend and just a fine pastor and theologian, uh, Reverend uh, Peter Ill. Uh, Peter, again, tell us about where you're at, what church it is, so people can come and visit you. And then we've got we've got to get on to talk about Christmas. Sure. I get to serve here at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt, Illinois, uh, about half an hour from St. Louis. And and uh, today I get to broadcast once again live live on recording uh, in my study where I get to <laughs> hi- hang out with all my books. And uh, and we get to gather to hear God's word at nine o'clock on Sunday mornings and seven o'clock on uh Monday evenings, and if you if you need a place to come to church on Christmas Eve, we'll be here uh, Christmas Eve at seven o'clock and at eleven. So uh, just in case you you're scrambling to find a church to attend, uh, we've got you covered in case you're you're open to it. So do you have a Christmas Day service as well, Peter? Or? Yep. And this year with Christmas on a Sunday, it'll be at nine o'clock. Oh, there you go. Because it's—I didn't even think about that. It's just a, a a Sunday morning. So, so it's seven and eleven on Christmas Eve, and then nine o'clock on on Christmas morning. Uh, and again, thank you for taking the time out of a very busy schedule, uh, and God's blessings on the word of gospel and the good news of Jesus' birth that you will share with people in just a week. Uh, but now here's the question I, I asked Peter. I said, Peter, so it is our tradition uh, on Wrestling with the Basics to kind of share some of our favorite Christmas stories. And Of course, we, we have the story about the angel coming to Mary and uh, the babe in the manger and, of course, the angels and the shepherds. And Peter says, well, my favorite Christmas story is Galatians chapter four. <laughs> yeah, which is okay. which is not really a story. <laughs> no, uh, it's not. But I have, I have to is, march to my own story. drummer boy, man. <laughs> so so would you like me to read the verses first? Or do you want to talk about why? I guess maybe we should read them and then you can talk about what this has to do with Christmas, you think? Or yeah, let's what do you read them do, and get Peter? them in our mind first, I think. All right, so we're talking Galatians 4, 4 through... 7. What verse? 7. 7. Thank you. 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) 
So I'm going to ask you just the cockles of my heart. It it, it makes me feel so good because this is a children's, this is a children's Bible reading, right, John? Uh, Sorry. Yes, it is. Talking. Uh, God sends forth his son born of a woman. And we think about uh, baby Jesus there held by his mother, Mary wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. Uh, But then Paul goes on to say from the birth of Jesus in the flesh to redeem those who are under the law, you and me and our hearers and all of those who believe receive adoption as sons, sons of God. And we even have the really awesome, bold way of praying, Abba, Father. We get to say that God is our Father. I remember when I was growing up, I went to a friend's house and we were having a water balloon fight. Oh, <laughs> summer memories. And, uh, and they had uh, their, my friend's uncle was there and, and all my friends and their cousins were calling out, uncle, uncle. And, and then he wouldn't throw a water balloon at him. And I said, uncle, uncle. And he looked at me, he said, dude, I'm not your uncle. And then bam, he hit me with a water balloon. Um, <laughs> we don't have to worry about that here because God says, I am your father. He invites us to call out to him because he has adopted us as children because he has sent his son into the world and he wants us to call him father. You know, I, 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 there's a, a, a book I've been reading, uh, a translation of the Gospels uh, by a gal named Sarah Rudin, who is, is uh, uh, actually a classical Greek uh, scholar. And it's kind of cool to see her uh, bring all of her classical knowledge into uh, translating this uh, Holy Scripture. Uh, And of course, uh, as a classical scholar, she's really into the history of Rome and Greece and where these languages come from. And and one of the things that she she shared as I was was doing a, a particular reading is that sonship is a really, really big thing if you live in the Roman Empire. Uh, because literally that's the only way you ever have any possessions. Uh, that's the bad thing about being a slave, uh, is you have no possessions, you have no inheritance, and you never will. Uh, because the only way you can have anything is because you've gotten it from your your father. Uh, and, and she points out that in the Greek uh, culture, Roman culture, there was a lot of fooling around going on. <laughs> okay? Uh, and so it became really, really important that you could establish that you were actually a legitimate child. Because if you weren't a legitimate child, they would literally take you and throw you by the roadside, or they might sell you into slavery, because you have absolutely no value unless you can establish that you are not a bastard, but you are really the son of this father who has the possessions, who has the land and the property and the position. And so when Paul says this, man, if we were reading this in the, the original times, we were said, wow, this is impressive to know that we now have that relationship with, with God. Because in those days and age, the family relationship was, was everything. And if you didn't have a father, then you literally had nothing. And what a great thing for, for Paul to say, well, guess what? You really have a father. You have the almighty creator of the universe who calls you his son. And, and it's interesting you bring up uh, Greek and Roman mythology because uh, this is the other part of, of that same reading from Galatians 4 that would just take a Greek or a Roman uh, and really kind of stand them on their head. Because in their stories about their gods, uh, they, they're often talking about their gods showing up in human form. But Galatians 4 oh. is clear. God doesn't just 
appear in human form and do something that a god would do and then disappear again. No, he fully and totally invests himself being born of a woman. Greek mythology and Roman mythology don't have their gods being born. They they show up. Um, but here, God is born. God has a birthday on Christmas. Um, God has uh, a body. God, in the person of Jesus Christ, cries and is wrapped in swaddling clothes. And, and he is really, totally, fully a person in the way that you and I... Uh, or, or our listener, is a person. Uh, he does everything that people do uh, when, they, when they're people and when they're human. And he takes that, uh, that complete amount of humanity and what it means to be a person into himself. Uh, but I think, I think it's also really helpful for us to think about, it's not just that God zaps himself into uh, humanity. Uh, about about every other year, somebody asks me to read this uh, this article that came out that uh, when Jesus was born to Mary, he actually didn't include any of uh, he he went he was beamed into Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, but doesn't include any of Mary's genetic material. Uh, and some somebody made this up. Um, <laughs> okay, uh, and it and it actually really confer- can uh, it it really concerns me. Uh, because then you have, I call it the alien Jesus uh, paper uh, that I once in a while am, am shown. This is Jesus who isn't human like us showing up to, to do God stuff without being human just like I am. But instead, scripture is clear that God sent forth his son born of woman, specifically Mary, under the law, to redeem those under the law. Jesus became human just like me in order to redeem me and in order to save me. And he has uh, taken on humanity, this human nature, um, and that human nature is now linked with Jesus Christ forever. He is joined as one God in two natures, his human nature and his divine or godly nature. And he exists always and forever, both human and divine, right? Right. And so uh, it's not that Jesus shows up as God and then he dies and he stops being human. Jesus is reigning at the right hand of God the Father even right now in uh, both his human and his divine nature. And Jesus is always, from, from Christmas on, completely and totally human and completely and totally divine. I don't know how to make the math work on that, how you can be two complete things at the same time. <laughs> That's God's problem. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to say the same thing that Scripture says. So, so, so here's just a couple of thoughts as we're talking about different images, uh, and, and you were referring to the Greek gods, uh, and, and so, so he, he's not Superman, right? Because Superman isn't really born of anybody here on Earth; he's just come down, or he just shows up, and of course he has these super great powers because uh, he's the son of Allah or something. I don't know; I don't know all the names, uh, but you're right that the, the Greek here is very, very specific. No, he's actually coming from Mary uh, again, not not some alien planted within Mary because you know what happens when you get an alien implanted with you. You've seen the movies, haven't you, Peter? <laughs> they, yep. they come bursting out of your chest and 
you don't want that. No, no. This is, as you said, this is a this is the way it was for you and me. This is he got started just as you are and I are. And, and, and it's so important what you just said that we realize that, yes, even now in heaven, he is still a human being. OK, uh, I, I know a lot of people have that picture that, yeah, he's a human and he dies. And then when he raises now, he's this Superman again, this this divinity, this God thing. But I've always said, if, if that's the picture, then then that doesn't help me at all. Because I'm a human, uh, and I'm going to be a human, uh, you know, and I want to know whether humans can raise from the dead. I have no doubt that Superman could come back. But but I need to know that a flesh and blood man like me can come back from the dead. And, of course, now we're into Easter stuff, but uh, that is the great teaching of the incarnation. That's what you're talking about, isn't it, Peter? That he took on human flesh, and he is human even to this day. Absolutely. And even that word incarnation isn't a word that, you know, that it, it's one of those, like, 50-cent words that we sling around every once in a while and show people that we're smart. Um, but— but to be in oh, it's, it's it's a five dollar word, Peter. Oh, <laughs> inflation. Okay, got it. Yeah, inflation. Yeah, don't forget inflation. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, but to be incarnate uh, comes from the word to have a body, and so to be incarnate is to be in a body. And Jesus shows up, uh, and this is what we really celebrate at Christmas: that Jesus shows up with a body, and and so. Christmas is even more than happy birthday, Jesus. It, it is that, but it's way more than that. This is a celebration that God has taken on flesh. Now that in the person of Jesus Christ, God has a body. God has a body that uh, is born, uh, that's wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. The shepherds come. And, and I wonder if the shepherds uh, there before the manger, if they made baby faces and, and oohed and odd <laughs> and counted all of Jesus' 10 cute little baby fingers, right? Um, uh, and, and if there was a little drummer boy who decided to show up, I bet he would have cried real baby tears uh, as his little baby ears were assaulted by a drum. Uh, don't drum for the babies. I, uh, terrifying little Christmas song. Mary saying, who, who brought this guy in? I just got him asleep. <laughs> but uh, uh, he is the same Jesus who goes on to, in his body, eight days after he's born, to, to be circumcised and have his first surgery to uh, live his life where his miracles, so many of Jesus' miracles are touchy, right? Where he, he spits yeah. and makes mud and rubs it into somebody's eyes, or he sticks his fingers into a deaf man's ears uh, and, and says, be opened. And sure enough, his ears are opened. Uh, as Jesus does these things, he even physically goes and is beaten. He bleeds. He's nailed to a cross. You can't be nailed to a cross if you don't have a body. You can't die if you've never been truly alive as a person, right? And so the fact that Jesus, God in the flesh, is incarnate, uh, is able to die is because he has taken on the human nature. And he is completely human and he can do something as human as dying and as surprising as rising again because he is human and divine. Uh, and so we get to celebrate not just that Jesus has a birthday, but that Jesus has a body. And Jesus comes to his church and says, my body was broken, my blood was shed, and I did this all for you. Uh, 
not being zapped in, not having my, my divine parts zapped into humanity or just showing up like a person, but truly, really all the way being a person for you to redeem you and to save you and to call you my own so that you are too are adopted as sons of God. And, and, and Peter, I just was thinking as you were discussing that, uh, why that is also so important to us is because it's really hard being human. It is not easy. I know that people listen to us, and right now they're having all kinds of struggles and trials. And, and I think it's so profoundly comforting to know that we have a God who understands that, understands what it is to be abandoned, what it is to be hungry. You, you name whatever problem you've got, Jesus understands that because, again, he really is and was flesh and blood. You know, you can worship Allah if you want. It's no skin off my nose, but Allah has no idea what it is like to be us, to be here in the flesh. Uh, but the Lord Jesus Christ, he does. He understands that all completely. And I don't know, I find that tremendously comforting when I hear his words of comfort. Uh, they're not spoken by someone who has no idea, but has actually experienced all of my struggles and trials as well. Peter... Peter wants to share something with you from the Athanasian Creed. I don't know we've ever done that before, Peter. We're breaking new ground, but I know you're just chomping at All the right. bit to share this quote from the Athanasian Creed. Well, so in case in case you aren't familiar with the Athanasian Creed, this is the third creed that the church uses. Uh, and usually we use it maybe once a year, maybe twice if we get really, really excited. Um, um, and it was written, and, and uh, Peter, 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 excuse me. And then there are people like me that look at it and say, ah, that's, that's way too long. <laughs> it, so it, but go ahead. it takes about three minutes, uh, to confess it together out loud. Um, it, which makes it, which makes it quite a bit longer than the, our other two creeds, the apostles creed, and the Nicene creed. Uh, and it was written, um, probably in the four or five hundreds, uh, following the teachings of a, a pastor and bishop named Athanasius, who, who talked regularly about the importance of confessing God as one God in three persons. And when it came to the part about Jesus, this creed confesses, although he, that is Jesus, is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. One However, not by the conversion of the divinity into flesh, but by the assumption of the humanity into God. In other words, Jesus didn't take his divinity and try to, to limit it, to cram it into humanity. But instead, Jesus, being all the way divine, doesn't stop his divinity, doesn't limit his divinity, but pulls that humanity into his divinity. And so what happens when Jesus' human nature and Jesus' divine nature are in conflict? Which one of them wins? Always Jesus' divine nature. Jesus' divinity is never limited by his humanity, but his humanity is overcome by his divinity uh, on a regular basis, right? Because usually people aren't rising from the dead. But for Jesus, who is God in the flesh, he rises from the dead because his divinity trumps his humanity. Well, that is the very promise that we have, that Jesus has become all the way a person. And then he goes on to say, and because I now am living and reigning in my divinity and in my humanity, now that this humanity has been pulled into the Godhead forever, hey, guess what? All of you other 
humans have something in common with me. You get to have God, our Father, in common with us together. Uh, every once in a while, somebody will ask me, what's your favorite, what's your favorite part of the Lord's Prayer? Um, and a lot of people will talk about the, the part of the Lord's Prayer where we talk about forgiveness, or the part of the Lord's Prayer where we ask to be uh, set free from evil. My favorite part of the Lord's Prayer, John, is is the very first word, the word our. It's a key word. It's even an Athanasian creed word. We get to say our Father, like, hey, Jesus, we share your Father in common with you. Your God is my God. Your Father is my Father. Your salvation is my salvation because of the work of God. And we have this great gift together with you, Jesus, Christians, and you together our Father, our salvation. This and, and is what. Peter, it, oh, go on, go on. Yeah, what I was going to say is, I see it directly relates then to the next petitions about the kingdom coming and the will be done and the name being hallowed. See, you need to read that and remember that's our kingdom because it's the kingdom of our Father. That that's the will that's good for us because it's the will of our Father. That's the name that we want to hollow because again, it's our dad's name. And don't you dare say anything about my dad. I'm going to come over and punch you in the nose. See, right. it, it makes all those opening petitions so incredibly personal because what we're praying for is what we're going to have because he's our father. And see, then it goes all back to that stuff I, I talked about at the beginning about this uh, image in, in, in the Romans that if you don't have a dad, you're nothing. Uh, but yeah, we got everything. We got the dad who's in control. We got the dad whose name is given more glory than any other name. And we have the dad's kingdom that is all our, instead of dad, let me say Abba. Because that's the sense of Abba, isn't it? It's our dad's stuff, and it's all our stuff now, too. Yeah, that word Abba is is the Hebrew word that, that a child would use to talk to their father. Um, not, just, not just father, but dad. Um, and it's wonderful yep. to have such an intimate and close relationship with the God who made everything and the God who keeps everything running. He, he's not standoffish. Instead, he sent his son into the flesh so that we can call him dad and so that he adopts us as sons. And, and, and the thing we need to remember is this is why Christianity was such a tremendous influence at the beginning, because most people didn't have any of that. Imagine that if you were a poor person or a slave, you had nothing. And now all of a sudden Christianity comes and says, not only will you have everything, but you'll have the eternity and the kingdom of heaven and all of that. And and see, I think that's our biggest problem right now, Peter, is because we have so much. And okay, all right, well, God's our father. Big deal. You know, I got a nice car and a nice home. And, so, and, and I think it's just so hard for Christianity today because Christianity is really oriented for people that say, I don't have anything. I don't have anything, but I have it all. I have it all because of Jesus Christ, who has made me the adopted son uh, of the Heavenly Father. And, and and if we're honest, we don't have anything, do we, Peter? Because everything we're holding on to is so tight right now. This Christmas, oh, we're going to get so many things. And all those things are going to go away. You just wait. They will. But because uh, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem us, who under the law know, we're going to have a hundred times better, Jesus says, in the life hereafter. Because ultimately, we don't need stuff at Christmas or any other time. We don't need stuff. We need relationship. And what does God give us? 
he sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, to adopt us, to give us a relationship. And so it's not about having stuff. It's about God taking on flesh to have a relationship with you. Uh, and we have a relational God who loves us and claims us as his own. That's the promise of Christmas for you, John, for our listeners. And so we get to say Merry Christmas because God has a relationship with you. And and that's what Christmas is all about. Peter, again, thank you so much for taking out of your time and indeed God's blessing on your, your Christmas celebration. Uh, the fact that God... Jesus Christ has taken on our flesh. This has been Wrestling, Wrestling with, with the Basics. The basics.